Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are around the world. I am Dr. Eileen Hale, the COO of our organization, Teaching Tips for English Language Teachers, otherwise known as TTELT. We are a project of educators worldwide, and I am here today to share a special guest with us who's here from halfway around the world from China. Dr. Kirsten Dick is teaching English as a foreign language at a university in Nanjing, China. She has a wealth of experience. She's previously taught English as a foreign language for the US Peace Corps in Ukraine. She's also an author and a scholar with numerous publications on genocide, racism, and music. So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce Kirsten. Hi, Kirsten. Welcome. Hi. Thanks Great for having me. Great to have you with us today. We really appreciate you joining us and um, sharing with us about student-centered teaching and teacher-centered cultures. Can you tell us how you came upon this topic? Again, student-centered teaching and teacher-centered cultures. How did you arrive at this topic, Kirsten? And maybe you could explain a little bit more about the meaning of the topic for our listeners. Yeah, so I noticed fairly quickly after I started teaching English as a foreign language um, that a lot of the pedagogies that I'd been taught when I did my little one month TESOL certificate and when I took teaching classes as a grad student um, would just fail in, in the classroom. When I got into classes with non-native English speakers from some parts of the world, um, so, so in particular, um, when I was working with English language learners from China or other parts of Southeast Asia, and in some cases when I was working with English language learners like from uh, the, the former Soviet republics, from the, from the former Eastern Bloc, uh, the, the lessons that were set up in textbooks by native English speakers who had grown up in the same kind of educational culture that I was used to, some, sometimes just wouldn't work. And we're taught when we do our TESOL certificates, you know, elicitation, you ask a question and if the students know the answer, they will raise their hands and they'll volunteer. So you don't lecture as a teacher, you don't, do too much like presentation of new material where you're talking at the students and the students are passively listening. You're supposed to have like a conversation with the students. Well, if students are coming from an educational culture where they're not expecting that, where they're expecting the teacher to present information, um, they may not really, know how to have that kind of a conversation or want to have that kind of a conversation, that kind of teaching style can seem threatening to them. Or in some cases, it can seem like the teacher doesn't know what they're talking about to them. Uh, like I heard a colleague um, who 
overheard students in their native language saying, you know, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. All he does is ask us questions and, and he doesn't, he, you know, he doesn't know. Well, he's using elicitation technique, but they didn't realize that it was a legit pedagogy. Can you give like some examples for our listeners of specific ways you can use this technique as a teaching technique? Um, yeah, so so some of the things that that like in some cases won't work or some some things that often need to be adapted from textbooks, um, like I said, like direct elicitation, um, you know, like uh, who can tell me how to make this sentence negative? Who can tell me how to turn this into a question? Um, you might just get radio silence from your students, even if they really know the answer. Um, just no one raises their hand and it takes you like five minutes to drag an answer out of one student and your lesson kind of gets derailed and you don't have, you know, you, you don't present a lot of material that you were planning to because they just freeze and don't volunteer. Um, asking for volunteers, like who wants to read the dialogue, um, that might fail critical thinking questions where you ask, you know, what's your opinion about this? Students might be terrified by that. They might not actually want to volunteer an opinion if they don't know what you think the right answer is um, in some cases. And just an open discussion type of format where you're expecting students to respond to each other freely it might fail, especially if you're talking about topics that are unfamiliar to students or um, culturally sensitive topics, or you might just get a class of um, mixed level learners where a few students dominate. Uh, so what you can do, like students will participate, you know, students from every culture are human beings, they do like to have conversations, they do like to talk. They will participate. They want to do well in the class. They will speak. Um, but you have to give more structure to them. Um, if they're not coming from an educational culture where like an unstructured question and answer format is normal. Um, so things like using pair work are really important. So you ask a question and then you say, talk to your partner or talk to your group about it. And in two or three minutes, then I'll ask the class and I'll come and ask each group what you think. So they don't have, they don't really have a chance to opt out of the discussion. Um, so it's much more structured and they have a sense of what will happen two or three minutes down the road and it's not this open-ended thing where they don't understand the format that you're going for um so yeah think pair share or think group share activities for your discussion questions sometimes will work a lot better when students aren't used to such student-centered teaching techniques it can also be very useful to show examples of what you want. 
So like show them a little video of students doing the assignment or answering the questions in a similar format to the format you want from them. Um, and you can also use kind of active ways of getting students to answer like yes, no questions or multiple choice questions. You know, so if, if you agree with this, walk to that end of the classroom. If you disagree, walk to this end of the classroom. Um, if you don't know or you're in the middle, you walk to the middle of the line, but in, you know, whatever, you have to get up out of your chair and make a decision and you don't have a chance to opt out of answering the question. You don't have a chance to just sit in your desk and not respond. Everyone in the class has to get up out of their chair and choose a position. Um, that activity is called opinion lines. So for opinion questions, that can be helpful. But I've even used it with my university students. Like we're just answering yes, no questions from the textbook. Um, and if you think the answer is yes, walk to that end of the room. If you think the answer is no, walk to that end of the room. And they responded quite well to it. They were all kind of laughing about it, shuffling around the classroom, um, trying, you know, trying to shuffle through these narrow aisles and suddenly they're all awake and they're whispering to each other, trying to figure out, you know, what what the correct answer actually is, and suddenly you see them engaged. Um, you can do other active learning things, like if you think the answer is yes, stand up. If you think the answer is no, sit back down. Um, so again, you don't have a chance to opt out or like hold up the like a red piece of paper if you think the answer is yes or a blue piece of paper if you think the answer is no or something like that. So you can see all the students answering yeah. the questions. Um, you can also, about, there are, sorry? Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish what you were saying. Yeah, you can also um, do sort of randomized cold calling techniques with students. Um, so you are like you can design um, spinners online that have all the names of the students on the spinner and you click on the spinner or you can make your own spinner or um, like you can pull index cards with students names out of a bag or pull popsicle sticks with students names out of a bag so that they know that every question you ask there's a chance that they'll be cold called but they also yeah. know it's random and you're not playing favorites. Um, yeah. They're more on their toes. And it seems, I think, to them a little bit more reassuring, like they kind of understand what the expectations are. And those kinds of guidelines, um, giving a little bit more time to think about spontaneous responses and stuff. Um, and just making exercises more fun and more active are ways that you can get students to start interacting with you and you can develop a rapport with students where they're willing to participate in your lessons. Yeah, that's great. Those are all great ideas. We appreciate those. And how do you tie in students' cultures? And particularly if you have multicultural classrooms, which most of us do in one way or another these days, 
Um, how do you address different aspects of culture in your classroom? Yeah, that, so that can be tricky with this. Um, if, um, if you're in a multicultural classroom, um, I think especially because you get a mix of students who do come from active learning cultures and who really want to express their opinions and then students who come from these very teacher-centered cultures um, who are more reticent, it's very easy to get like a few students really dominating your classroom. I like I remember once having a classroom that had um, I think three students from the Middle East in it and everyone else in the room was from China. And my my three um, I think two of them were Saudi and one of them was Turkish. My three Middle Eastern students basically had a discussion with me and my Chinese students just kind of listened and occasionally would, would put up a hand, but it was, um, it was really hard to, to manage that. So using these more structured techniques where you're like cold calling people, pulling index cards, and each student knows, you know, if there's 15 students in the class, you know, one out of every 15 times, that's going to be my name coming out of the bag. And I have to be thinking about this. I can't tune out. Um, or if you're making them run around the room to do different things, even as adults, um, it forces everyone to get involved a little bit more. And you um, can kind of mitigate the effects of some of those cultural differences in the room. Um, you do have to be careful because there are some taboos in some cultures, for example, about um, forcing people into mixed gender groups when they really don't want to work with people of the opposite gender. Um, and that doesn't always even apply just to cultures where you think, oh, there's gender discrimination. Sometimes that's just people's preference to like work in a group of only women or only men or something like that. So you have to kind of watch the dynamics in the room and try not to force people into situations that they feel are uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, if good. you're a teacher coming from that culture, you might be a little bit better able to assess. Um, if you are not coming from that culture, you might want to try and ask the students after class about what's culturally appropriate or ask a colleague who comes from that culture. Yeah, definitely. Those are great points. And if you're in, like you're saying, in your own culture, but you have other subcultures, if you will, within your classroom, yeah. um, you, you had mentioned is even being sensitive and aware of your own ethnocentric centric assumptions about what's proper and what works in the classroom behavior-wise of students uh, based on your own cultural background, just having a deeper awareness of your own behaviors and how those affect students and coming from different cultures? Yeah, like um, in some cases, I'll hear colleagues, um, you know, particularly like, um, American, Canadian, British, uh, like people who come out of this, like, you know, Western European derived education system, 
um, will encounter students from outside that Western European derived system and say like they're not motivated. I ask them a question and you know they're just not interested. They just don't respond. Um, so yeah, like it can be easy to mistake their lack of response because they're not used to your teaching style as their lack of interest, their lack of motivation, or their lack of ability. And then to get kind of cynical about your students rather than realizing that it's you who needs to change your teaching style um, to appeal to your students because it like the onus is really on you as a teacher. Then it can go the other way as well. It can be really easy to mistake their lack of answer or their lack of participation as like, you know, I asked if everything was clear and they nodded their heads and said, yes, teacher. And so I thought they understood. And then I saw the test and nobody understood. Like sometimes you have to check a little bit more carefully and ask them to, you know, okay, tell me what I just said, rephrase that in your own words you know, let's do some exercises to, you know, work on this material and make sure that I can see you reproduce it before I assume that you really mean you understand it when you tell me, oh, yes, it's clear. Um, because sometimes that's just fear of the teacher's reaction rather than actual understanding that leads them to say, like, yes, I get it. Yeah, yeah, great point. Um, so yeah, just kind of in wrapping up to thinking about how do you encourage students to come out and, and share their voices more if they're coming from a cultural background where they're more used to being silent and not uh, more having teacher-centered classroom rather than student-centered classroom as a, as a cultural paradigm and how do you encourage their, them to speak more and take risks in your class and overcome their fear of, of even talking in front of their peers and maybe made fun of uh, just from cultural perspective because a lot of students it's very ingrained in them to how to behave in a classroom setting when they're learning another language when they're learning anything um, so you're trying to pull them out of their own cultural comfort zone if you will i guess that's how i was thinking how you do that how you encourage them to to enter your cultural zone while you're teaching English to them. Yeah, um, so you really need to recognize what your goals are as a teacher. Um, if your goal is for them to have perfect grammar, they probably are not going to speak freely and be willing to just take a whole bunch of risks, you know, using new structures or, you know, trying to express their real opinions to you because they're so worried about, you know, what kind of grammatical structure do I need? How do I put the perfect vocabulary word in here? Um, so if your goal is for them to become more relaxed with your teaching style and to speak freely, and to express opinions, then you have to relax a little bit with your expectations of them producing perfectly grammatical sentences that use the absolutely perfect 
vocabulary and things like that. You have to be willing to step back and not correct every mistake. You have to be willing to step back and not interrupt them when they're struggling to find a word. Um, you can step in and ask them some clarifying questions and pull out the dictionary and help them express what they're trying to say, but not, not ever get angry with them. And I mean, I really mean not ever get angry with them if they make mistakes with the grammar or the vocabulary or the target material. Um, not ever express disappointment or frustration with them and just constant support. Like, yes, I understand this is a really difficult topic. You did a really good job working with this. I know it's hard. Thank you for taking a risk. I mean, really praise their willingness to try something new. Every time you see them try something new, and when they express an opinion, um, even if their opinion is that like, you know, Justin Bieber is the best thing in the entire world and you don't really like Justin Bieber, I mean, you need to engage with that and reward them for taking that risk to talk to you. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot about being human and interacting with them the way they would interact with people out on the street rather than constantly playing teacher. Right, right. Great point. Well, you have brought up some really wonderful ideas for our teachers today. Just to quickly summarize our teaching tips uh, for our listeners, I'm going to recap. Um, Kirsten talked to us about challenging your own ethnocentric assumptions, like what is proper classroom behavior, about improving student participation through adding extra structure and examples and a lot of teamwork pair activities and mitigating student fear by praising your students and really encouraging them uh, to take risks and providing a safe environment for them to be able to do that. And always piling on lots of encouragement for them to feel that safety in your classroom. Anything else you'd like to add, Kirsten, as kind of a final wrap up to your discussion on teacher-centered, I should say student-centered teaching and teacher-centered cultures? <laughs> Um, this also works for students who do come from those student-centered cultures. Like, I've never seen a native English-speaking American student react badly to having active learning techniques in the classroom or having lots of encouragement and praise and things like that. So, um, you know, works really well with little kids um, as well as with grown-ups. Um, it, it really is sort of across the board, treat them like people, you know, before people first, students second. Great. I totally agree. No matter what culture you're from, everybody wants to be treated the same as a person, first and foremost, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for your great ideas for our listeners today. We really appreciate you joining us from China and are coordinating our time zones. And we hope uh, to have you back for a workshop. And I thank all our listeners for participating with us. Uh, again, you can find us on our website, ttelt.org, or email us if you have any comments, questions, info at, that's I-N-F-O at ttelt.org. 
join and follow us on our Facebook group. Again, TTELT, Instagram, Twitter. We've got all the <laughs> social media connections for you to participate with us and share with your fellow teachers wherever you are uh, teaching English around the world. Mm -hmm.